Okay, so before we get into it this week, I do have to make an apology. To I me, am... thank you. Yeah, it was very... I, I'm sad you brought me into this. Yeah, I know you are. Uh, I am sick, and so my voice probably sounds a little rough. Uh, I apologize for that. Uh, just as Beverly Crusher was injured in the Arsenal Freedom. That so was a great segue. It, it was. We are both uh, very ill, and uh, I was not, unfortunately, at the bottom of a mine shaft. So, Richard. Yes. Beverly Crusher was injured. I was very sad about that because I think she's my favorite character. I actually thought that was a really interesting moment in the episode. I found myself caring about her, and I said, hey, that's a good thing. Well, I mean... The the show is finally working. I like any moment that it's Picard and Crusher because they, they have a very good chemistry together, both the actors and the characters. And so this moment when she is near death and the only person that can, you know, is there to save her is Picard and he kind of needs her knowledge to walk him through that. Like, I thought that was a great moment. I thought the way that they, you know, handled it, it was very nice. It was a tense moment. Again, we talk about how, you know, that they're not going to kill off Dr. Crusher in the first season. That's not going to happen. And yet they did do a good job of making it feel like a high stakes thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think they did a good job with that. And, you know, one of the interesting things about the episode is that nothing really happens which it's is one of your Star Trek shaggy dog stories, yeah. Yeah, which is, I think, maybe to its detriment a little bit, but I, I don't think it's a bad episode, and I think the show, again, is, is sort of um, marching forward a little bit and, and showing its, its its potential here, because we, we've gone from having, you know, demonstrably terrible episodes uh, early on in the season uh, until the midpoint, and, and I think now they're starting to figure it out, and they're starting to give us episodes that, certainly while not classics in any sense of the word, at least are, are sort of, you know, competently executed and everybody sort of acts like a normal person um and you know leaving aside the fact that that beverly crusher of course hid the fact that her leg was injured for some reason until it became necessary to the plot to notice it uh, which was weird yeah i I mean i guess where they were going with that was you know she was more worried about the head injury I, i guess and then also they sort of dropped the whole thing about picard using roots to heal her leg or something. I don't even know if he actually did anything about it. I mean, she was bleeding to death and then suddenly he just wandered off to go find a console, which is like, okay. He used the roots. I bet he, he did. The hey. He used the roots about 15 years ago oh. on her, to meet Wesley. We got some Crusher backstory about where her family came from. That was interesting. Yes. Yes, yes we did. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Oh, wow. no. Now I need to know why that's all you're saying. There's, uh, there's payoff on that. Oh, right? there is. Oh, yeah. Oh. Many years later. Oh, no. Many, many years oh, later. Oh, no. I'm afraid now. So, uh, like, next year or something. Oh. Remember that. Okay. Yeah. I won't remember it. Well, I mean, yeah. But what what did you, you know, what did you think of? I mean, it's not, we can go back to, to Beverly and Picard later, maybe, if there's anything else there. But um, And I also I also did like the fact that Data was just like, I'm going to jump down there. Um what did you make of the beginning of the episode and what did you make of the end? Because they sort of forgot about the beginning of the episode. I don't remember what the beginning of the episode was. Well, so they went there and uh, there was a ship, the USS Drake with the captain and he was lost and they were yeah. trying to find the ship and everything. And it turns out that there was some weird like um, hologram thing yeah. trying to find out information. And Riker said he's from the USS Lolli- the good ship Lollipop and whatever you know i like that scene because it was an eerie scene but 
It was. And the actor that they got to play the captain was was demonstrably creepy. You know, he was sort of like, I have a five o'clock shadow and dark circles under my eyes, which is always fun. <laughs> uh, you know, I like that Riker realized immediately that something is up and that he's kind of he's playing along with it to the degree to figure out exactly is this the guy who's, you know, is he really the guy and he's working against us? Has he been brainwashed or is it a hologram? You know, he's not sure. And once he figures that, you know, but he knows immediately I'm not trusting this guy. And that's, that speaks well for Riker, I would say. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I think it's interesting too, because if you look at the end of the episode, they completely ignore that entire subplot and they went there ostensibly to find this ship, to find out what happened to it. They never really do. Yeah. I and guess then they the, just leave. The implication was that he was killed along with uh, the rest of the people on the planet. But they don't find out, though. You which... could, they could mention it in a line. You know, they could say, oh, we found, you know, we found Captain Drake and he's passed and, you know, he was right. Shot. And I think that's what my problem with it is, is, is not so much that this specific thing was dropped, but that, you know, still the episodes while getting more competent. Uh, do have some fairly significant plot holes still. And yeah, it turns their mission into almost a MacGuffin, and it doesn't really matter whether they do it or not. They just needed to get on this planet somehow and to do a mission. Yeah, and I don't know exactly how important it was to see this 45-minute episode of Star Trek either, because it doesn't really have a point in any way. Uh, I, just I guess that if you weapons will lead to your own destruction, you know, that that's Hey guys, look at that. And yeah, at the like... end you just tell the salesman that you're going to buy something and it'll stop the demonstration, which it was actually funny like halfway through the episode I'm like, why don't they just tell the sales bot like, look, we'll buy. It. You don't need to stir the demonstration anymore and that's exactly and I love that Crusher's the one who's like, well, why don't you just, t- you know, say that you want it? You know, where we don't need and you know, that is turns out to be what works. That well, is how they well, specifically, it. Riker, uh, uh, Beverly says, why don't you just turn it off? And yeah, that's yeah. when Picard is like, oh, we'll buy it. You know, and he's like, oh, cool. All right. Uh, you know, yeah, it, it was it was kind of interesting because I think the episode is supposed to be more of a character episode than anything else. And, you know, the reason I say that is because you've got the, the Beverly and Picard stuff. Yeah. And then you also have a lot of the Geordie stuff, which I find really interesting. Mm. Um, and I think it sort of goes in with the idea that we're trying to showcase these characters in situations that are a bit outside of the norm for them, a little bit outside of their comfort zone because, you know, Picard normally doesn't go on away missions. Uh, Beverly normally is not seriously injured, of course. And, and Picard only goes on the away mission because his number one is basically attacked, you know, that that's interesting why he goes on. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think, you know, in the same way, it's it's intriguing that Jordy is put in a position I mean, because he's in, he's been in charge of the Enterprise before, but I don't believe that he's ever been in charge of the Enterprise when the Enterprise has been under attack before. Yeah. And the fact that he is challenged by yet another generic lazy eye engineer. Yeah. Um, the third chief engineer they've had, I, I believe. I think so. We had the woman, we had the old drunk dude and we had this guy. Who was the old drunk dude? He was in the one that was with like the genius engineer and he's just like, oh, da, 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 da. oh the, the, the beardy. Yeah, beardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's what we're calling him. We don't have nicknames for them yet. Yeah. Well, we have women, beardy and lazy eye. I'll go with that. Sure. Okay. I was going to go with blondie, beardy and lazy eye. But, you know, you want to call her woman. That's all right. I don't think there will be another women chief engineer. 
won't there? I don't know. So, so I find that interesting because it sort of like gives Jordy some backbone, and we haven't yeah. seen that from him before. And what if you know Troy has a tiny bit of something to do in this episode, uh, and she is mostly dealing with Jordy's uh, challenge, but. You know, what I think is interesting about that is he's dealing with this command, he's dealing with making a decision that he's being directly challenged on, and, you know, when she takes him to the side and he, you know, she immediately says, no, I don't, you know, I don't think you're the one that's having trouble, you know, like, she kind of reassures him, like, no, you, it's not, you're doing really fine at leadership, you need, you need to... It's the people under you you need to worry about that you need to strengthen. You know, don't worry about yourself. And in a way that, number one, helps Jordy get through his last bits of underconfidence, which is just due to an experience because he's worried about, you know, encouraging the, the, the much younger people, the ensigns that are working for him. Yeah, and I liked that, too, because I, I like the fact that we get to see, yes, they are generic guest star characters, yeah. but they do have some personality. They do have some lines. They get to show that they're competent. And they get to show, I think, that the backbench is there in an interesting way. Um, it, and they go to show how someone grows to become you know, star, this Starfleet material that we've been talking about, you know, ever so often. Like, they are very young and improved and unproven. It's implied that this is kind of their first real anything they're doing. They just graduated the academy within the past year. And so, you know, we kind of maybe it implies that all of these characters that we've been seeing have had a captain or have had somebody who was they're a very good and encouraging leader. You know, they all had a mentor in a way, maybe. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, especially in light of, you know, what Jordy eventually decides to do to solve the situation, which is to separate the ship, which is something we haven't seen since uh, pilot, I believe. the pilot. Yeah. So, you know, he's obviously taken some, some lessons from Picard in that way as well, I think. Yeah. But contrast that with the fact that was dropped in this episode that Riker was offered the command of the Drake. Uh, yeah, right. Riker was given, offered a captaincy, and when, you know, when everybody's surprised to find that almost when that's brought out, and he kind of says, like, oh, I thought I could get better experience here. And so that's a very interesting, because this entire time we've been talking about, oh, he's a very, he's very hungry, he's very ambitious, he wants to, you know, he's going to be captain someday, he just needs to get, you know, a few more years under his belt, and... You know, right now he's on the Enterprise, which is the best, you know, position that he can be in. But he was given a captaincy. So one thinks that probably the Drake was has a very boring life. Well, I mean, I don't yeah. necessarily know that I agree or disagree with that. I just think it's really strange that someone who's portrayed as yeah. almost a proto-Kirk would turn down the command of any starship. Yeah. Would he, you know, if his choice is between captaincy of, you know, one of the B-rank ships or second-in-command of the A-rank ships, um, Riker seems the kind of person who would make it the best goddamn B-rank ship in the fleet. You know, he seems like if he would try and—I don't know, he would do a lot with that, and— Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I almost get the sense from this that— Riker is a little 
even stuck up to a degree. Like, I think that he's kind of, he might even think that he's too good for a lesser ship, quote unquote, right? Like, he doesn't want the command of the Drake. Like, when he wants to, when he's going to be a captain, he's going to be the captain of, like, the fucking Enterprise. Like, he wants to be that guy. I don't know that he necessarily thinks he needs to work for it, which I think is weird. I don't know. Maybe there is a degree to which the Drake would have been kind of a dead end for him, though. Um, Like, maybe... But if we, I mean, but, but, but I think you're almost trying to find a theory to fit the facts. Yeah, that's it. Like this doesn't, that, the fact that he turned down a captaincy contradicts everything we've seen about Riker so far, at least my interpretation of him. Yeah. Well, I mean, talk about that though, because I'm curious, you know. Well, it's just, just simply what I said. He would, I got the sense that he's been put as a second in command just because again, this, this whole time I was working with. You know, he's younger. He just hasn't gotten to that point yet. He's, you know, this is a very prestigious and amazing position that he has anyway. And it's the, you know, it's a feather and a cap in a, in what is going to be a very long and prosperous career um, with Starfleet. And to find out that he said no, you know, that he chose it over a higher position is... It's funny. I well, don't know. I, I think it's... I think there's something here. And I think the fact it, of the matter is Riker doesn't necessarily want to or or even know how to rise to an occasion but it seems like Jordy does in an interesting way huh. Riker offered the captaincy of a ship like the Drake and, and we don't know much about it but we yeah. can in, we can infer that it's it's not uh, uh of the enterprise's caliber uh certainly what's the other ship that's in the movies the Excelsior? Yeah, like I got the sense it's well, no, the Excelsior is supposed to be super uh, swank as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Then that doesn't fit because, as I say, it seems like uh, everyone in the movies treats the Enter- the Excelsior as not as cool as the Enterprise, and you know there there is a sense. Well, in that- a in a in a way, I think you look at if you look at the movies, uh, you know, and this is going down a, 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 a rabbit hole, hole a little bit, but. You know, I think the Enterprise crew certainly sees the Excelsior as not as cool as the Enterprise, but everybody else sees the Excelsior as the future of Starfleet. Yeah, and uh, there is as much of, you know, s- still repping the Enterprise is their way of staying, saying we as a crew are still relevant. You know, this is our home. This is, you know, it may not be the best ship in the fleet, but it's the fleet. It's the ship that we love. It's our ship. It's Kirk's ship. It's the end. It's the Starship goddamn Enterprise, you know, and I think by next gen, the Starship Enterprise has retaken its place as, you know, this version of the Enterprise has retaken its place as the the sexiest ship in the fleet. Maybe it was before the Excelsior was built. Um, And well, I think, yeah, I think there's something to that. But I think at the same time, you know, Riker not Riker being offered a captaincy and then turning it down, I think is indicative of the fact that that he may have different ideas about what it means to rise to the occasion. Whereas Jordy very much it does the job that, that the situation and that Starfleet demands of him. And so I get the sense that when Jordy is offered a uh, a, a promotion or offered a new position that he doesn't necessarily have to take. I think, and if, if it's a step up for him, I think he takes it. Well, here's another thing because this is also dovetailing with. Um, I remember in the pilot when you know Picard says to Crusher, you know, if you want transferred, and she laughs and she says, you know, you think that I would get an assignment I didn't want? You know, obviously I picked this assignment. So in a way, Riker kind of picked the assignment too, and. 
the fact that he's able to turn down a captaincy in favor of this and with apparently no repercussions to his career does say something about the level that he's at, though. Yeah, that's I mean, true. He, if he were, again, refusing a captaincy for a very specific position, generally, I would assume, isn't done that often. Um, uh, whether it is or not, um, Riker's able to do that, and it gives him some flexibility. Yeah, it just makes me a little... Yeah. A little skeptical of Riker in, in a way was, that I wasn't before. I don't know if the I feel like there might have been some implication that maybe Riker felt that he wasn't quite ready for prime time yet. But in the that seems a stretch given the what formulation we actually see on screen. Like if that's where they were trying to go to that, he could have said, you know, gee, I wasn't ready. I need to I needed to learn, you know, and that would have dovetailed nicely with the Jordy Ensign plot. Yeah, maybe that's where they were trying to go with it, but just didn't make that final final leap. Yeah, that could be. And I think at the same time, it, you know, we we can't uh, talk about this issue and not talk about Tasha Yar because, you know, w- you know, from what we've seen of Tasha Yar so far in, in, in the show, I don't necessarily think that that either of us thinks that she is a really good security chief. Oh, and... I'm, we're going to talk about that in the next episode because I have some questions. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But... I have a lot of questions. <laughs> But I think it's, you know, you know, she she I mean, she doesn't really raise any objections to Picard beaming down, even though they're being attacked by these things on the planet, which seems odd. Uh, She doesn't really seem like all that uh, tactical or strategic of a thinker. Yeah, it's it's Troy who is the only one who voices an objection at Picard. And he uh, my my thing about I like that scene because he's like, you know, yeah, noted, you know, because she really can't do more than advise in this. Right. Picard is that determined, you know, he's not listening to anybody right now. But I think this episode in particular really yeah. highlights the problem with the character of Yards that she's very reactive and a security chief can't be reactive by definition. They Yeah, she seems like maybe she's even been Peter principled up. Like I don't think she makes a bad soldier. I think she would be very she's probably you know, reactive is very good to be while on the field and while in an action sequence and maybe she was just Again, maybe she was just a great security officer that got a little too far up, and she's not really good at the bureaucratic thinking she needs to do. She's not good at the organizational thinking that she seems to do, as we will talk in a minute. She is always trying to do something more. She never delegates, and part of that may is just to get, you know— fewer actors on screen but she's doing all of the dirty work herself and that's not something a boss necessarily needs to do at least not it's contrast this to the fact that the captain of the ship needs explicit permission from his second in command in order to beam down onto a planet right yeah i agree with that and i i think you know while yard is obviously very adept at keeping riker and 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 data safe by yeah. by you know uh uh engineering these ways to, to kill these uh, 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 gun things. Yeah, if you need a bodyguard, you could probably do far worse than Tasha Yar at this yeah. point. I think she makes an excellent one. Yeah, but I, I don't I don't get the sense that that she's in any way like a like a competent security chief because if that were the case, I don't think Picard and, and Beverly would have ended up at the bottom of that shaft. Yeah. Right? Well, I don't know if there's anything else really to talk about with the Arsenal of Freedom, but... I think they just haven't figured out who Yar is or what she does, and from what you have been implying, they never do, which is a shame. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that she could have been a good character, yeah. but 
you know, they just, they, they don't really figure her out. Um, yeah. And I mean, you obviously know that she doesn't stay on the show, but, um, which I mean, that doesn't have as much to do with whether or not they can make her a good character. I mean, you know, that has as much to do with behind the scenes production stuff as anything, but at the same time, she is not, cons- I, I don't think she's gone down as one of the late, late lamented characters that could have been. I think she's interesting because I think that she is as poorly defined as any character in the show at this point, mm. perhaps a little more poorly defined than, than the other characters at this point. I still think they're having trouble getting a handle on her, uh, which you know may feed into the reason why um, Denise Crosby left the show. But yeah. I, I think that eventually if, if Denise Crosby had decided to stay on the show, I think they would have figured out what to do with her just because they figured out what to do with everybody. Else. I was going to say, there's no real gimmick to her and we don't even have a one note of which like, you know, Worf is a Klingon data is an Android and he has a personality, you know, Dr. Crusher, I feel is a character Picard's a character, you know, for the most part, Yar just kind of is. Yeah. I yeah. can't tell you anything she does or who she is or anything about her other than rape gangs and a cat. And a hair bob. Yeah. Yeah. It is a very functional haircut. All right. Well, what would you give Arsenal Freedom? I would give this episode four killer droids. Okay. Uh, I'll give it like a four two. I think it's average at best. All right. Let's move on to uh, our second episode for this week. The 1988 uh, Writers Guild of America Award for uh, Most Obvious Drug Analogy. There was Symbiosis. So this episode Go. is very interesting. This episode was actually written by Nancy Reagan. Um, <laughs> yeah, she wasn't a big sci-fi fan, believe it or not, even though she had her, uh, you know, seance person. But uh, yeah. um, I loved this episode in the way that I can only love drug PSAs from the 80s. I I think the scene with Yar and Data explaining drugs to Wesley is probably one of Star Trek's finest moments. Well, here's here's the thing. I know that I'm more charitable towards Star Trek than you for obvious reasons, but no, like, uh, I generally find symbiosis to be a moderately complex piece of storytelling. Well, and that scene in particular stands out to me as someone saying, "Whoa, we need to make it obvious that drugs are bad because we can't have people coming out of this episode confused by our." Uh, uh, diffuse morality in this episode yeah because it's a very ambivalent episode in a way that i would say it's almost to its detriment mostly because it i mean it brings up a lot of questions and you're left with more questions than answers and for once i think the I think that's a bad thing. It comes off as a little confused rather than anything, but I disagree with you. I, I, what, but, well, it, well, 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 let me let's we'll talk about, you know, the, the, yeah, well, I'm just kidding, like in. what in, in what way do you think the episode is is confused? I just think it didn't. It left a few things unresolved just because and I found the ending wasn't as I don't know. It, it seemed like it could have been tied up a little better. I guess. I guess I wasn't a hundred percent what was going on. Where everything. See, I think the ambiguity of the of the episode is one of its strongest points because I think at this point in the run of the next generation, um, the the show has been afraid 
to be ambiguous in any well, way. Well, let, let me put it this and way. I, I, what I like about this episode is that it does take the risk to be ambiguous and to not connect all the dots and to say, no, I'm, we're going to make you work a little bit for this. Well, yeah, here's the here's – the, okay, so I couldn't – number one, I couldn't get which civilization had technology and which didn't. So The it, drug addicts had technology. But they can't fix their own machines then? Well, they're drug addicts now. Yeah, so and no, I've never can. seen a mechanic who was on drugs. Like, come on. I mean, they, they can find somebody to fix the, you know, they, they've completely lost the entirety of how to fix a coil, a very simple part on there. That, that was to me something that I accepted. I mean, cause to me, it's like, it was hard for me to accept that one. And that's, I guess, part of it. It, it, it you know, it, it really wasn't for me because if you look at the, the backstory of the, the two civilizations and I don't really know exactly like if they were supposed to be the same species or not, I kind of got the sense that they were. Yeah. With the um, electrical thing, you know, you assume that's a species ability. Which never really went anywhere. So I'm not really sure why that was concluded in the episode, but whatever. I loved Riker getting electrocated. That was a fun thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, and I'll just make a very shocked expression on your face. <gasps> but but to me, it really spoke to the fact that you know whatever happened was the the the, the, Bre- the Breckians, I believe, is what they were called. And, yes. And the other ones were the Onarans. The Onarans are the people that are less technologically advanced, and the Breckians are the one that are more technologically. The Breckians advanced. are the ones that are the pushers. No. Yes. I wrote down at one point, ooh, the Breckians are drinking Tranya, so... No, that's Onarans. That's the Onarans. Yeah, you, you, missed it. you mistook them. Are we sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and and so what I, what I think is, you know, what is really going on here is that the Breckians were the technologically advanced species or planet that uh, uh, had this plague happen. And then the Onarans, which were less technologically advanced, discovered some sort of, of cure for it. And, and, you know, obviously they, they never told them that it had been cured. And so they decided, hey, well, they're all drug addicts now. Hey, it's an opiate. So we're just going to let these people um, develop a, 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 an addiction. Yeah. Um, it's a planet of, of shaky junkies. So for me, I don't necessarily have a problem with them being able to keep things running, but not necessarily being able to fix things to the level that they would need to. Yeah, but here's it's kind the of thing, like the, it's a, but... it's a civilization in slow, slow decline. It's not like things are breaking left and right, and it may be that their technology was so sufficiently advanced that yeah, I'm sure you could leave the Enterprise floating in space okay, for 500 there. or a thousand years, and it would still work. But then, um, why does the why do the Anarans need the Breckians? Then, what are they getting from them? They're getting their them. They're working for them. They're doing yeah. stuff in trade. Yeah, assumedly they're installing and fixing their technology. I would assume, like they're they're doing everything for the Breckian, for the Anarans, whatever they are. Like. I don't know. It just seemed no. I got the I got the sense from the Onarans that the Breckians are giving them like food and, and clothing and things like that, but not necessarily, not necessarily fixing any of their technology. Um, now, how we live in this post scarcity society? What's going on with that? What do you mean? What's going on with that? I don't. They have replicators. Why do they need the the Breckians and Onarans are not members of the Federation, so why would they have replicators? I don't know. I would assume that technology would permeate through the world. Not, not necessarily. Hmm. I mean, not everybody in North Korea owns a refrigerator. Yeah, but that's because oh, I was about to say, that's because the government's horrible. But not, every, you know. but not everybody in Africa owns a refrigerator. I mean, you know, like this 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 doesn't seem like that odd of a thing to me. No, okay, that's fair. Um, they weren't 
clear on what degree the withdrawal symptoms, because then the implication is going to be that they're going to go with through a societal withdrawal for a while, but then they'll eventually get clean and they'll, you know, and so, but the prime directive doesn't let them provide just general medical assistance for that, just palliative care. I mean, like any doctor on earth in 2013 will tell you, you know, no, somebody's withdrawing from drugs. They should have a, they should do that under some kind of supervision just because, you know, withdrawal symptoms can be very severe, you know? And so, but, you know, Picard, you know, is basically like, well, we can't help them. That would violate the prime directive. Since when does it violate the prime directive for them to provide medical care? They've done that before. Well, okay. So I think there's a couple things here. Number one, I don't completely disagree with you. I think that the prime directive yeah. is always sort of fuzzy and it always sort of like they they kind of massage it to fit the needs of the yeah. plot sometimes. Um, but in this case, I think it it makes sense at least in the in terms of Picard's decision. And and what I mean by that is it's demonstrably a violation of the prime directive for Picard to offer them replacement coils for their ships, right? You would not disagree with that? Um, because that would change the course of their society in a way, right? Sh- sure. In the same way, offering them medical assistance for the withdrawal symptoms. And it wasn't necessarily that they were going to be offering medical assistance for the withdrawal symptoms. It was that they were going to be uh, 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 providing some sort of like, I don't know, planet-wide uh, a medical thing or something. And and I think the issue here is really that when you're talking about a sickness on a planet that's only affecting, you know, a handful or a subset of the population, it's not necessarily, you're not necessarily talking about something that's going to affect the society or government or politics of a planet as a whole. But when you talk about this in terms of like the entire planet, it is going to affect that because as they go through with when they define when they finally do discover what is going on and they're yeah. going through withdrawal and everything is fine again, that's going to feed into what they do to the Anarans, right? And so that's Picard true. is it's about to be a war, isn't there? Yeah, and Picard is like, I can't get involved in this. If there's going to be a war, then it is going to happen, and I don't want to prevent or spur a war on. That's fair. Um. I don't know that he. I don't know that he's necessarily correct, and I think it's interesting. I mean, I th- I think for me the the, the where the, where the the episode is very interesting is again Crusher and Picard because they do have very, you know, I love the scene when Crusher, you know, everything clicks and she goes into this, his office. She's like, I they're they're drug addicts, you know, they're they this is it's a narcotic and. You know, she's immediately making plans for, okay, well, you know, I'm going to synthesize, you know, a methadone type of thing. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this. And he's like, we really can't. And, you know, in a way, he almost says, you know, this is, you know, it's not our business. He almost seems to imply that a life. Free, uh, a drug-free life is an implication, is a moral implication, rather than a medical one, and he doesn't have the right to make a judgment on the moral issue. There, he says, you know, if their society is working, we don't have the right to that. You know, if it would be different if they were, and, and I will also get the sense that this drug is, you know, they go how you know, low the concentration is and all of that. And they're talking, I would also assume 
that it's made to be as tolerable as possible. In other words, you're not going to overdose from this. This is not going to, you know, kill you. This is not heroin. This is just something, you know, it's something that is very addictive that will does have very severe withdrawal symptoms, but you will never die from. Yeah, the Breckians think it's medicine, so I don't think that they're necessarily going to take yeah, I was going to say they're ta- you know when taking under a certain uh, you know when taking in a certain dosage, I would assume it could be taken indefinitely. Yeah, I'm know? on I'm on antibiotics right now. I'm not going to take ten pills for no yeah. reason. Like um, that that does, does not doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's just like anybody. I mean, no antibiotics don't make me high either. Well, but... it's like anybody who's on a medication for their life that they you know indefinitely that they take every day that you know again you're doing it under doctor's orders it's not going to kill you you assume if this drug were killing people prematurely it would be just as bad as the plague you know yeah i think they have formulated well i'd be i'd be afraid of what medicine you're talking about but (laughs) there's some sort of hiv meds chemotherapy like sometimes yeah i was gonna say um you know (laughs) it's not like medicines are controlled aren't controlled substances in a lot of ways yeah absolutely yeah i think that's a i think that's a a better argument but either way it's very i i would i would assume that they have formulated this medication by this point to where it can be tolerated for one's entire lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, and, and this is kind of the, 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 the question for me is that at the end of the episode when, when you know, Picard and, and Beverly have that conversation in the, in the turbo lift about, you know, what, why the prime directive is important and stuff. And I, I think that's the second weakest scene of the, of the, of the episode behind the Wesley drug addict scene, because, um, it's a little too on the nose for me when he's explaining exactly why the prime directive is, is, is so important. He may as well be looking directly into the camera because he's basically talking to the audience in that, in that way. Uh, I don't think Beverly needs to be told or needs to be lectured by her commanding officer. Why the prime directive is important. She's a Starfleet officer. She, she knows, but, but the question that I've always had about the prime directive is, and, and and I think this is going to be an interesting question to ask you as someone who, who's not a Star Trek fan is that, is the prime directive compatible with what we've seen of the Federation's values and beliefs? Because the prime directive to me seems almost Darwinian in a way. And is that uh, compatible with the Federation? I don't disagree. And I don't, it depends on which version of the Federation we're talking about, because I think there are, in a way, there can be as many different versions of the Federation as there are people in the Federation. I mean, Kirk's interpretation of the Prime Directive is radically different from Picard's. It's as different as night and day. Kirk would see the situation and he would, you know, immediately tell the Breckians or whatever, you know, this is, this is, you know, he this is drugs. This is what you're doing. This is what you're having, you know. And, and he would say it like that. This is drugs. <laughs> Stop taking it. Yeah. <laughs> you people are all high. <laughs> now I want to see this episode. Yeah. So much. Maybe we could, you know, write a letter to Shatner and have him do a voice audio drama of it. Um, I think it would be within the realm of. See, it would be. There are some things about this episode which confuse the morality to a bit and. Because the Inarans know full well they're they're evil cartoon villains. It would be more interesting if they had genuinely thought they were helping the Breckians. It would be more interesting if the Breckians knew, okay, this is drugs. It's really not doing anything. But, you know, something who cares is not hurting us. You know, things like that would have been more interesting wrinkles than this. It does does seem – it does seem a little unbelievable that no one on Breckian – 
doesn't at least suspect what's going on, right? Yeah. Like, every single person on the planet is sick. Like, that seems a little odd. But, you know, in terms of, like, collapsing the the, the universe into a syndicated television show from the mid-90s or the mid-80s, like, Because, I mean, that makes it a different thing because there are very, very, very few drug addicts who aren't aware that what they're do about what they're doing you know this is even in the case you know the most direct analog to this i can see is someone with a prescription drug addiction who starts you know the, the story of i had a knee injury and you know i was on vicodin and then i became a vicodin addict is very common and yet you're a vicodin addict yes oh um, my god <laughs> um do you need help yeah i need some more vicodin oh jeez. um you know, that story is extremely common in, you know, in the U.S. today. I don't really know what that was like in the 80s, but um, I would assume there were, you know, there were still plenty of prescription drug addicts, of course. Um, you know, even that situation, they're aware that at least on one level that what they're doing is a drug addiction. You know, I, I, I guess the fact that the Breckians appear to be completely ignorant of that. Yeah, and they, they do – well, the thing is they do say that the, the Onarans kept the fact that it's an opiate away from them. So, Yeah, so I guess what I mean is that detail makes it less analogous to a real-world situation. Maybe that's that's yeah, and I don't and I don't I I don't know that this episode was was necessarily supposed to be analogous to any sort of real world situation. But the, but but most then why make it like I think the best I think sci fi becomes stronger when it's talking about and Star Trek in general becomes stronger when it is an analogy. Well, let me rephrase that. I I don't I don't. I don't think that this episode is supposed to be analogous to to drug addiction necessarily. I think it's more interested in collapsing the idea that drug addicts are by definition immoral people, perhaps. Uh, and I think that it's also collapsing the idea oh, that it reinforces that because the Breckians are all unaware that they're drug addicts and therefore their ignorance allows them to remain innocent. If they knew that what they were doing was drug addicts, then, you know, by that logic, they would be immoral. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that. I, I don't agree with that premise either, but I would suggest that that's implied by this version that we have in the episode. Again, if they had all said, you know, yeah, we kind of know, we kind of figured that it wasn't really medicine, but you know something who gives a fuck? Like, you know, we still have a society, we have what we want, They, the Breckians have what they want, you know? I mean, Dr. Crusher's saying, you know, this is a parasitic relationship. This is a... You know, they're taking advantage. They're exploiting them. Um, I think it would be much more interesting for the Breckians to say, no, they're not really because, oh, we have to work a little bit. Oh, well, you know, I don't know. I, I, I again, thinking of alternate versions of the episode. Um, I don't know if. I'm not really sure where to go with that. Yeah, because I it just, just the that's, inar- that's in the realm of speculation to such a wild degree that it seems almost. Well, I guess it just makes the Inarns come off as these card-carrying stock villains, and the Breckians, these poor ignorant people who are just don't even realize the factors that are affecting their life and their history, and it just kind of seems a in that ver in that way it's a lot it's a bit less of an interesting episode than it could have been 
I'm as I guess I'm just not as interested in that version of the story. I guess. Um, we kind of got away from the prime directive thing though, and I want to go back. Oh yeah, to yeah, that yeah. Because, I'm sorry. Um, because I do think that there's some interesting stuff there. I mean, leaving yeah. leaving Kirk aside, because yeah. The Federation and Kirkstay and Starfleet and Kirkstay and the Prime Directive were all very different. Yeah, even if we are talking about a personal interpretation, that is a personal interpretation that happened 100 years earlier. And it seems very much like personal interpretations of the Prime Directive are verboten at this point. Like, you do not interpret the Prime Directive. This is what the Prime Directive instructs captains to do. You do that. like, Or or you don't do that, in, in effect. Um, yeah, there's an official policy of non-interference in the Federation. There's a lot of talk in this episode about the Prime Directive, why it's put in place, why it's, you know, the rule of the Federation. And they say that when humans have interfered with other cultures, with other planets, with other yeah. species, even though their intentions may have been good, the unintended consequences were always bad. And they... they Picard explicitly says, like, I don't think he uses the word always, but he pretty much says, like, something very close to that. I mean, it's... it's, But, but, uh, I I find that to be problematic because, in effect, Picard and the Federation have decided that they can't see all of the possible outcomes, and so the only ethical choice to make is to do nothing. And that, in effect, makes the Prime Directive a force for some sort of Darwinian evolution in the galaxy. Well, the Prime Directive kind of wants the Federation, in some ways, to act as if it doesn't exist. Um, As if it did not. Now, whether that could be true or not, I mean, you may talk about the philosophical information about you know the observer principle and all of that whether that's you know whether that applies past physics or not is a very long conversation that we will not have but um the point is you know yes is is even just by beaming down to a planet and talking with somebody there isn't that affecting them i don't know right um they say because that's the thing like they seem very they seem very open to saving people who are about to die all the time, right? Like even in this episode, they yeah. save these people. How do yeah, they, from that very how moment. do they how do they not know that that was a prison ship and that was their execution and they were hardened criminals that had killed fifteen hundred people and if they got out, they would destroy the civilization they came from and like this. So well, for me, it's like question. if What's... they're flying around the universe and like they they basically can't do anything. Yeah. So it would seem like they would just kind of hang out like the Metrons and just not do anything. That right? was my question. What does the Enterprise do then if it's not supposed to interfere with anything other than like i mean i think once you're in the federation like it's okay like certainly the federation yeah the prime directive does not apply to federation yeah um i mean it's a way essentially and interestingly enough the prime directive also doesn't seem to apply to uh uh alien combatants i guess if we can call them that yeah right i guess the prime directive in a way is a guardian of sovereignty in some ways, because, I mean, we have, even in the original series, in, um, and what was the episode with, uh, the, the, the uh, with the, the Mirror Universe, Mirror Mirror, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, even in, the, as early as that, you know, they're, t- you know, Kirk is saying, you know, we could just 
take what we wanted. We have a gigantic fucking starship, but we're not going to, you know? Right. We, you know, the... I think that's a better formulation that's, of the Prime Directive in some ways. That's an excellent formulation of the Prime Directive because, yes, you know, the Federation, if the Federation got together, a, an evil version of the Federation, as we see in that episode, uh, is a very powerful and daunting and almost unstoppable force just because it is so many planets. It does have so much tech. It, Absolutely. And so there is, does need to be a kind of restraining bolt in a way put on the federation in order to ensure that it doesn't you know as we've talked many times about how admirals are kind of removed from power they're removed from the day-to-day action um once you get to a certain level of power you need to have that you know kind of need to be promoted into a corner office and just trot it out for events and that's about it you don't actually get to do anything so that's the federation's way of putting itself into the back office and yet yeah and yet, yeah, I think I guess Kirk's you know thing is you can't I don't know you got to respect the sovereignty of alien cultures. You've got to respect their development. It could be very easy for the Federation to go to every single backwater planet, dump a bunch of tech in there, and say, "Hey, you're Federation members now, and you know there ain't nothing you can do about it." We've seen plenty of. People throughout history doing essentially that, and this is the Federation saying, no, we're not Genghis Khan. We are, you know, we're a good force. We want people to—we want to empower and enable people to live as they decide to see fit, and it's not our right to— determine that for them. Um, Yeah, and I guess— The Prime Directive seems that I don't know if this is the best formulation of— a prime directive that could be. Yeah, and I guess my my problem with it at the end of the day really is that what you're saying seems fine to me, right? Like, don't use force to get what you want, which is what Star Trek is all about. Yeah. Um, you know, don't interfere with uh, cultures and species and planets that are demonstrably of a lower technological evolution than you. I mean, they're not... The Federation does not make a habit of beaming down to Bronze Age worlds and, you know, firing yeah. phasers and showing them, uh, a, you know, yeah. a Casablanca and stuff. I mean, they don't do that. I mean, it's almost um, as if you're on safari and you're seeing a lion eating a gazelle and you feel bad for the gazelle, but, you know, something the lion's got it. You know? Yeah, but but that I think that's all fine. But yeah. I think the problem with the, with this formulation of the Prime Directive is that like when you see a civilization or civilizations as we do in this episode that have a, a, a parasitic relationship that is built upon deception and fraud, it, it seems not, it, it doesn't seem ethical to me. It doesn't seem moral to me. And I know we've had this question about whether or not the prime directive is supposed to be moral or ethical. And I think we both are on the side of the prime directive as being more ethical than moral um, hmm. that, I don't necessarily know that turning a blind eye to the fact that, you know, I don't think that you could make an argument that the normal course of evolution for a planet is built upon a massive society-wide fraud. I can agree. And and I think that. that Picard not helping them is more damning of the prime directive than if Picard had said, "Hey, you're all drug addicts. Do you know that?" I mean, and if they went, and if they went, if they said, "No." Oh, you know what? Yeah, we know that. And then, you know, then if Picard was like, well, we're still going to fucking force you to like, you know, that then I think would be wrong. But if if they said that and Picard was like, 
oh, okay. All right. Well, I guess you're happy. All right. We're going to go now. Like, I think respecting choices is more about what the prime directive is and not necessarily protecting people who have forced yeah. choices upon others through fraud or force. Like, that seems weird to yeah. me. Yeah. And, it, you know, if there was still a plague, if the premise that they needed to take this medicine and it just happened that it made them really high at the same time, it would be a different situation, possibly, you know? Because um, honestly, I don't think that Picard would force them to stop taking the medicine if they knew that it was an opiate like yeah. i think he'd just be like all right well whatever you know there's a few things i want to just question is number one what if he told them that and they said oh well those fucking anarans you know help us right what's the answer to that i think picard would have i mean i think picard would have to leave i mean yeah. i don't think that he would do anything um you, number, know? you know a couple other things at the very beginning of the episode he's willing to just beam up a the coil to them you know and just hey good faith we got an extra part you know and you're stranded here you go like it turns out that things are much more complex to that but at the very beginning he was willing to just help I them think, out i think in that sense i think it makes a little bit of sense because i think the coils at the beginning of the episode yeah. are just a couple of freighters that are broken yeah yeah and la- much later mu- later later on they, they they take on much more import yeah and i you know i get that that's that's yeah um but at the same time then it almost suggests that their his initial decision to give them the coils without fully looking into and seeing whether that coil gift was a violation of the prime directive shows that he could have potentially broken it without realizing it and did not do his due diligence in the first place. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, I mean... Again, this is going with but I don't, prime, I don't, things are in violation of the prime directive when they need to be, when it makes sense for them to be, not when it actually is. Yeah, it seems to me that the prime directive needs to be a prime suggestion. It's, it's, a, it's a prime plot device right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a fine it's a fine ethical yeah and formulation, I think it's a but I think one. I think the 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 formulation of the prime directive in the original series made more sense than in the next generation because it allowed flexibility for Kirk to make a decision based on the evidence at hand and the facts at hand and his own belief on what exactly was was moral or right or ethical, whereas Picard seems to be living in a Starfleet and a society and a Federation which says that captains have no agency over prime directive matters and they must follow these things um yeah i guess it's just a difference i don't know i I, mean at the end of the day it's obviously a more bureaucratic society than it was in in the day of kirk but again are we just seeing that things from picard's perspective and picard is a much more bureaucratic person like in other words if Kirk was even a loose cannon in his day by the amount of, you know, throughout the series we've seen him get in, almost get in trouble for breaking rules left and right. And, yeah. you know, ultimately he gets out by the skin of the teeth and it's mostly because he's Captain Kirk and he's the coolest space captain out there. Like that's the – he has that ability to get away with breaking the rules because he's so awesome and because they usually – turn out to be in the long run the right thing like he may make rash decisions but they turn out to usually be the right decisions like 
I don't know. It, could it have just been if we had been on another ship with somebody of much more of Kurt, Kurt of Picard's mindset? Maybe it would have been this. You know, maybe that it it may have and been. Maybe there are is another. Sh- you know, we go on a very different ship. Maybe there is a loose cannon captain who is just sitting, you know taking the prime directive as the half-hearted suggestion it is and just hoping he won't get caught this time. You know, it could be. And I think at this point in the in the series, you know we can only go by what we've yeah, seen so far. We haven't. And, and yeah, I think that may just be the case. I think it may just be the case that in, Picard is a, is a more cautious man. And, in most cases, you will have more Picards than Kirks. I mean, just across yeah. the board in the world today, you have more Picards than Kirks just yeah. because you, you, you know, if, and I don't necessarily think you want. A no, bunch of no, Kirks no, 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 no. But I mean, a Kirk is defined by his desire to buck the system by his yeah. willingness to break rules when necessary and therefore by definition there's only a few of them yeah um did you notice that meryl buttrick <laughs> what as in the guy who played kirk's son in star trek two and three was the one of the aliens no i did not you did not because you were bad at faces oh my god he was that one wasn't how he? do you come over here and record and re- recognize me every week i just have to I- ask this well, I actually thought... do. You know what I look like? Like, if you close your eyes right now, can you like picture what I look like? Yeah, you have brown and white spots all over you. You're about two feet tall. You're short and furry, and you have these really cute ears. And one is always cocked down. And you that is my dog. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, Meryl Buttrick. Okay, he was also uh, extremely ill at this point. So mm. I guess it was a good choice for them to have him play a drug addict. Oh, that's right. Didn't he? He died of AIDS, AIDS yeah. AIDS or was... HIV-related complications. Thank you. Or something like that. <laughs> um, Nobody dies of AIDS. Yar is bad at her job. Yes. Uh, she teleports cargo onto the ship without worrying about whether it needs to be quarantined or is a bomb or something. She just accepts the cor- the cargo from the strange acting people that she's just they've just met five minutes ago. Well and puts it in one of the cargo holds. Now it turns out to be not a bomb, not a germs, but how many times have bombs or germs been on the ship? I will I will disagree with you and I will defend Yar because Really? That was Riker. Riker told her to do that. Okay, and yeah, I I mean in that one sense, fine. But now you could say, okay, Yar should have disagreed with him, but they don't but so then so then let me let me put it this way and this is maybe going with the strategy thing um okay but they don't have a procedure in place when you get a suspicious package beamed onto board is this the USS post office i don't think so <laughs> like you would think this is not the first time that this has happened in the world and that they would have a separate quarantine room I and mean, we've seen how poor the ship is at enforcing quarantines maybe they do i don't know maybe the cargo bay is made out of you know bomb resistant material or something you know why why is she the one handling communications why is she the one directly handling the teleport you know the transporting like this is what i'm saying like when i'm like she does a lot of ground level work these seem like almost stuff that she did before she was security chief well, that she I, continues I, to do. I think a lot of that is because they wanted to give her something to do. And that's fair. I mean, I think some of that is just that. You know, I mean, there's no reason for Riker to be down there either. Yeah, but at the same time, they are down there. So we. I mean, there there is a certain... I'm going to, you know, I'm going to... This is always your line for me, but I think at this point I'm going to say... It's a TV show. They have to allow their main characters to do things. Like, that's just how it is. Five drugs. 
Five dr- You would give this five drugs. Yes. I would give this six drugs. Okay. I mm-hmm. like drugs more than you. <laughs> Glad to know. Well, next week, we are two episodes away <laughs> from the end of the first season. So we have two more episodes and then we're done? Yep. And then we're on to the second season. Oh, my. It's finally happening. I don't believe you. You don't have to believe me. You'll well, see it's true I'll see it's in two true weeks. In two weeks. Yeah. So next week, uh, we have Skin of Evil. Ew. And we'll always have Paris. Oh, God. We'll see you then. <laughs>